Hey, I want to thank all of you for welcoming us into your home, your living room, your kitchen, your car, outside, wherever it is that you're watching this. Thank you so much for allowing us to be a part of your day today. Hey, I want to remind you, those of you that have children, uh, go ahead. I hope that you've already got their curriculum going, their video going. Our kids have absolutely been loving it, loving it. Um, those of you, a lot of you, so many of you, I should say, have continued your giving. And I just want to say, you don't know how much that means to me as your pastor. Uh, you don't know how much, how good that makes me feel to know that you care enough to continue that spiritual discipline of giving and being faithful. You're, listen, I want you to know this. You're not being faithful to me. You're not being faithful to the church. You're being faithful to God. And that makes me so proud. As a pastor, that makes me incredibly proud that you would continue being faithful to God in that way. Um, so you can just continue. Uh, again, the easiest way is to text GIVE to 479-777-4264. But I understand many of you, you prefer to just mail in a check, and that's fine. You can mail that in to 170 Fraser Road, Granis, Arkansas, 71944. Hey, I want to thank all of you who participated in the Easter Family Experience Challenge. Uh, I know my family and I enjoyed taking pictures down by the creek or outside or whatever else we had going on. I, uh, and thank you to all of you who posted pictures. I know many of you probably went along with it but didn't post a picture. That's okay. We still love you. We'd love you more if you posted a picture, but it's, it's okay. It's okay. We still love you. And I do want to remind you to post a picture today, Easter Sunday. Take a picture today, Easter Sunday. Hashtag TRC Family Easter. And we're going to have a good time tonight or tomorrow just clicking on that hashtag and being able to see all of you families that are a part of the TRC family and part of the TRC church and the and, and this world, man, we're going to be, uh, it's going to be so fun to stay connected in that way. So if you would, please take a picture, take a selfie, you and the family, just you and the dog, you and the cat, you and the horse or the cow or just whatever. But take a picture, take an Easter Sunday picture and put hashtag TRC Family Easter. I want to thank all of you who have continued sharing these videos, man. You, you are making a difference in somebody's life. Every time you send it to somebody, that gives God an opportunity. That gives God an atmosphere, a space for him to do something special. Hey, we're excited today because today, again, it's Easter Sunday. As you're watching this on Sunday morning, we've been in this series called Jesus is Still. And today's topic is Jesus is Still Lord. And I want to read to you guys Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 10. It says, as Jesus... And his disciples approached Jerusalem. They came to the towns of Beth, Bethphage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives. Je Jesus sent two of them on ahead. And then pay attention to this. He says, go into that village over there, he told them. As soon as you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. Pay attention to this part. If anyone asks, what are you doing? Jesus just say, the Lord needs it, 
and will return it soon. The two disciples left and found the colt standing in the street, tied outside the front door. As they were untying it, some bystanders demanded, What are you doing untying that colt? They said what Jesus had told them to say. And they were permitted to take it. That's important. Remember that for later on in this message. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over it. And he sat on it. Many in the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him. And others spread leafy branches they had cut in the fields. Jesus was in the center of the procession. And the people all around him were shouting, Praise God! Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessings on the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Praise God in highest heaven. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your Holy Spirit that we feel in this place and that everybody watching this on a screen or listening to this through their, their uh, speakers or headphones, God, we pray that the Holy Spirit would be moving in their lives. God, help us to understand your word. Help us to receive your word. But God, more than anything, help us to live your word out. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let me explain to you a little bit of what's going on here. You see, this is the beginning of what we now know of as Passion Week. The Passion Week. And we know it now, this specific day, we know it now as Palm Sunday. The day that everybody put down their palms for Jesus' little donkey to walk upon. But let me explain the bigger picture and what's going on. You see, they didn't call it Palm Sunday back 2,000 years ago. They sure didn't call it the beginning of Passion Week back 2,000 years ago. What they called it was the Passover celebration. And you see, what's happening is Jesus is coming into Jerusalem, and every good Jewish family is making their way to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. So this is why many of the family and many of the people had leafy branches, like what the Bible describes, and that's why, that's why they had these leafy branches to lay down, is they weren't just randomly carrying around these leafy branches because they knew Jesus was going to come through. Actually, they knew that they were probably a little bit late getting to the city, and because they were going to be a little bit late, all of the hotel rooms were going to be booked up. You see, they didn't have Airbnb or Hotels.com back then where they could have reserved their room six months in advance. No, it was just first come, first serve. And many of them knew that they're late to the party. So, hey, on our way there, as we find some palm leaves or palm branches, let's cut them, and that's going to be our bedding. Which I think makes the story even more powerful the fact that the people weren't just laying down regular uh, or just random leafy branches for Jesus' Jesus's cult to walk upon, but they were actually laying down their bedding. They knew this is the only thing that I have to lay on and to sleep on tonight, but Jesus, the Lord, the Messiah, the Son of God, He's walking, He's coming in, and I'm going to sacrifice that. I'm going to lay that down and allow Jesus to walk over it. And you see, there's, Jesus has created, or there's such a large crowd over Jesus, and, and, uh, or around Jesus, and in G John chapter 12, it reveals to us that the reason is because a lot of people had heard the news about how Jesus had called Lazarus out of the grave. And because word spread so quickly, 
a lot of people, even though Jesus had been walking the earth for 33 years, been preaching the gospel for three years, and, and healing sick and blind and all, and finally now a lot of people, a lot of people have heard of what Jesus was doing, and now they're beginning to believe that he's the Son of God. So that's why there's such a large crowd around Jesus. And this is important information because it goes along with the story. But I do want to call our attention to this. How is it that here in this chapter and, and in this, on this Sunday, they're screaming out, Praise God, blessing on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. How is it that they keep singing other versions of your Bibles would say in the New King's, New King's James Version, it'll say, Hosanna, Hosanna, which means praise God in the highest. How is it that they go on Sunday to screaming, praise God, you are the Son of God, to that very next Friday saying, crucify Him, crucify Him, crucify Him. What happened in their hearts? What happened in their minds that took them from sacrificing their bedding and their, and their cloaks and their, and, their, and their coats and their jackets and sacrificing it and allowing the donkey, the coat, to walk over it? What, what took them from being there, from screaming, you are the Son of God, you are God in, in flesh, praise be to you. What takes them from screaming that to just five days later, screaming the complete opposite, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Give us a thief, give us a murderer, free the other, but crucify Jesus. What happened? What happened? What, what events transpired? And while I'm no one to judge and I, am, I definitely cannot see their heart and cannot read their minds. But by reading and studying the Bible, there are a couple of things that stand out to me that I believe led or were at least a part of this. That I hope that we don't fall into the trap of doing the exact same thing. And the first is this. I think they began to realize that Jesus' mission was not their mission. In other words, they they began to learn that Jesus was not there to do what they thought or what they expected him to do. Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1, and this is what a lot of them probably had in their mind, was the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me. For the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. You see, in their minds, they took this scripture, they took this prophecy of Jesus, and they made it, they twisted it to believe, to make themselves believe that the freedom that they were going to find was not going to be spiritually, but actually physically. In other words, they thought that Jesus was there not just to lead them spiritually, but they thought that Jesus was there to spark a revolution against the Roman Empire. They thought that Jesus was going to free them from being slaves, from being captives, from being oppressed from the Roman Empire. And as time goes on, they realize that that's not what is on Jesus' agenda at all. They realize that he's there to do something completely different. See, they wanted a king that would set them free from the oppression of Rome. Jesus didn't do what they expected him to do, and and I've got to be honest, 
I've been there myself. Hey, there's been a few times in my life that I've thought, hey, Jesus, if you would just listen to me here. God, if you would just listen. If you just do this, then it'd fix everything. God, if you just do things the way that I wanted to, I promise it'd be so much. Like if I'm like if I know, like if like if I'm sovereign or something. But we gotta understand the Bible says that his thoughts are not our thoughts. Because his thoughts are actually higher. His understanding is higher. He is sovereign. He does know all things. He sees the big, the whole, the complete picture while we only see a little tunnel vision version version of it. And they began to realize that Jesus' mission was not their mission. Jesus wasn't doing what they were expecting him to do. And maybe you found yourself in that position. Maybe you expected Maybe you expected to find a healing and you didn't find the healing. Maybe you expected to get the promotion and you didn't get the promotion. Maybe somebody hurt you and you never expected for them to hurt you. Maybe somebody said something about you. But there's this And there's this gap between expectation and reality. You see, we've got to understand this. We've got to understand that Jesus is so much more concerned about our spiritual well-being than he is our physical well-being. This is something they couldn't understand. This is what led them to scream, crucify him, crucify him. I want to say it this way. Jesus is more concerned about your soul than he is your situation. He's more concerned about your salvation than he is your situation. And if we don't understand this, if we treat Jesus like this guy, like this genie in a bottle that's just supposed to do everything that we want, healing when we want it and blessings when we want it and the promotions when we want it, the relationships when we want them and all of these things, when we start treating Jesus that way, Believing that that's who Jesus is supposed to be. And let me tell you, we'll find ourselves in the middle of that crowd screaming, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Another reason that I, that I believe that they led them to that place was that Jesus simply didn't fit in their box. He just didn't fit in their box. And, and this is what happened, actually. So on Sunday, Palm, we know it now as Palm Sunday, uh, Jesus comes in, and they call it, the in your Bible, it probably says the triumphant entry. Jesus comes in riding on this donkey, just as prophesied, a little donkey that nobody, ever, nobody else has ever ridden on. And people are throwing their cloaks down. They're throwing down palms, and Jesus walks on it. Everybody's screaming, praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God. The very next day, Jesus causes a major scene inside of the temple. Jesus flips over tables gets a whip and just like starts, I guess, lashing people and just runs everybody out. And now let me tell you the, the, the context to that. The reason is, again, remember, if you were a good Jewish family, didn't matter where you were from, you come into Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And you had to bring a sacrifice. Okay, you just, that, that was part of the celebration. Well, if you had a four-day or five-day, six-day travel walking, you didn't want to bring a lamb or a heifer or 
or even a dove for that matter, all the way there. So what you would do is you would bring a little bit of money and you would purchase something there. So there were people that had actually set up shops inside of the temple. And they weren't selling at a fair price, but they were gouging people. And then they would only take a certain currency and then they would gouge people on the currency exchange. And so this is why Jesus uh, uh, flips out and he starts throwing over the tables and the money changing tables and kicks people out of the temple. You see, I think people began to realize that Jesus wasn't going to fit in their box. In other words, Jesus wasn't going to just sit over here and do what they wanted Jesus to do and then forget about everything else going on over here. I think they began to realize that Jesus was here to change everything. That Jesus, when he's coming, he's not just coming to change a little part, a, a little uh, a convenient area of your life. No, Jesus is coming to give you a whole, completely new life. And when they began to realize that Jesus doesn't fit in their box, and they began to realize that Jesus is going to give them a new life, he's going to change everything, they start screaming, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Now, I want you to know this. Jesus loves you where you are, okay? You do not have to change for Jesus to love you. You know, the, I think what a lot of people will say is, hey, I'll come to church when I get my life together. Like, that's, that's a complete, that's like saying, hey, I'll go to the doctor once my broken arm heals. Like, that makes no sense at all. So I want you to know that Jesus loves you. You don't have to change for Jesus to love you. You don't have to change for Jesus to accept you. Jesus loves you exactly where you are, but he loves you too much to leave you where you are. In other words, whenever, whenever Jesus comes into your life, he's taking you to higher places. He's, he's, he's not changing little convenient areas of your life. He's giving you a completely brand new life. And when we don't accept that, again, when we treat Jesus as this little genie that's supposed to stay in this box, and I want you to, I want you to heal me, Jesus, but I don't want you to mess with my finances over here. Hey, hey, Jesus, I want you to change this area of my life, but I don't want you to mess with my sexuality. Hey, Jesus, I want you to do this, but I don't want you to see this. Hey, Jesus, I want you to change this, but I don't, I don't want you to mess with this. And we begin to scream, Crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. John 10.10 10 says, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come, Jesus says, but I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. You see, Jesus, he doesn't want part of your life. And this is, this is why it's so important that he's Lord. Because he doesn't want part of your life. He wants all of your life. He doesn't want just one area of it. He wants all of you. So how do we make Jesus Lord? I'm going to keep it super simple. First of all, I want to give you the definition of Lord. Lord is someone or something having power, authority, or influence. And I love this, a master or a ruler. That's who Jesus is. I want you to know that. That's who Jesus is. Jesus is not a spiritual advisor. He's Lord. He's master. He's ruler. So 
How do we make Jesus Lord in our lives? Listen, I'm going to keep it super, super simple. I'm going to keep it so simple. Hey, tell whoever, if somebody's watching with you, hey, tap them on in and say, hey, he's going to keep it so simple even you can understand it. Come on, do it, do it. Tell them, hey, it's, it's going to be even so simple that even you can remember this. Remember? Or are you ready? Just one thing. Just one thing. Give Jesus more of yourself. Give Jesus more of me. Remember the scriptures I told you to remember? Mark chapter 11, verses 2 uh, through, through verse 6, I believe, or a few verses, it says this. Go into that village over there, he told them. As soon as you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here and then highlight this part. If anyone asks you what, what you are doing, just say, the Lord needs it and will return it soon. The two disciples, check out their obedience. The two disciples left and found the colt standing in the street, tied outside the front door. As they were untying it, some bystanders demanded, what are you doing untying that colt? And they said what Jesus had told them to say. What was it that Jesus told them to say? Just the Lord needs it. The Lord needs it. And the bystanders, the people, let them have it. You see, that's what Jesus being Lord over our lives looks like. It's being obedient. It's giving Jesus all of ourselves. It's giving Jesus access to our hearts, to our minds. It's changing our lives to fit what the Bible says, to fit what Jesus says. Not just picking the parts that are convenient, but saying, Jesus, you are Lord. And because you are Lord, I'm going to live life the way you call me to be. This is what it looks like in my life personally. I'm going to be a pastor how you've called me to be a pastor. I'm going to be a father and a husband how you've called me to be a father and a husband, God. I'm going to be a brother. I'm going to be a son. I'm going to be a worker. I'm going to be whatever it is, every area of my life, how God, you've called me to be. And it's just giving Jesus more of ourselves. I commend and, I, and I'm so proud of and I'm so inspired by the obedience of this man who just because the Lord said that was enough the Lord needs it that's enough that's all I needed to know the Lord needs it here you go I wonder what areas of your life what areas of your life is the Lord tugging on what areas of your life is Jesus saying hey give me this would you give me this give me this give me this area of your life Obey me, follow me in this area of your life. I want you to know Jesus, he's still Lord. He's still Lord. He's still Savior. And if we would give him our life completely, he'll do amazing things. He'll change us. He'll mold us in incredible ways. And doesn't, it doesn't consist of one act of obedience but rather is measured by the sum of our obedience. In other words, it's not just being obedient here, but it's being completely obedient. 
For those of you, maybe you're, you're watching this, you're listening to this, you've never made Jesus Lord. Listen to what 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says. But if we confess our sins to Him, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. Hey, if you've never made Jesus Lord over your life, if you've never given Jesus control over your life, I want you to know you can start today. Today, Jesus can be Lord over your life. And it's just as simple as saying, Jesus, I've sinned against you. Forgive me. I believe that you died and that you rose again. And I accept you as my Lord and as my Savior. Would you do that today? Would you invite Jesus to be ruler, to be your master? To be completely obedient to him in every area of your life. That we would find ourselves singing, Hosanna, Hosanna. Praise God in the highest and not crucify him. Crucify him because he doesn't fit in our box or because he doesn't do the things that we expect him to do. No, we say, you are Lord Jesus. You are sovereign. And I'll bow to your will, not mine. Let me pray for you wherever you are. Jesus, today we invite you and we ask you to be Lord in our lives. God, we give you more of ourselves, more of our time, more of our energy, more of our resources, more of our family, more of our finances. We give you more of ourselves. We want you to be Lord. Move in us. Have your way in us, God. We thank you so much for the sacrifice that you so generously gave for us. And we respond to that sacrifice by making you Lord, by making you King, Master, Ruler over our hearts. Nothing nor no one else has our hearts, Lord, but you. We love you, Jesus. We thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. And church, we love you. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for inviting us into your home. Make Jesus Lord over your life. Not just today, but forever. It'll be the best decision that you could ever make. Hey, I'm loving. I love you. I'm rooting for you. We're on your side. God bless you. enjoyed the podcast today. If this has impacted you and you would like to help us to continue to reach others, please text GIVE to the number in the description. For more information about us and our ministry, go to theremodeledchurch.com.